Hi there, Paula Eamon here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope by the grace of God for the glory of God. You're listening to Cloud of Witnesses. If you listen to episode 14, you heard me interview my husband, Jason. We talked about the four messages that he preached at camp. So you may be confused why I'm sharing a fifth message. I wasn't planning to originally because it was in a completely different format than the other ones. But after listening to it again, I knew that I had to share it because the truths Jason covered were too good not to. I made a few tweaks to the format so you could be as blessed by it as much as I was. So here's our final episode in the series, Rooted and Grounded in Christ. There are things in your life that are too good to be true, right? Uh, I remember specifically, uh, I don't know if they still do it, because I don't read the cereal boxes as much anymore. I used to read them all the time, right? You sit at breakfast, you had the cereal box in front, and you read the cereal box. And what would they have on the cereal box? This really awesome offer, right? When I was a kid, like, okay, you can get a free Nintendo game. I'm like, oh, man, this is fantastic, free Nintendo game. Yeah, but it's like 270 box tops, and then you got to send them to some weird place, and then you got to wait like four to 27 weeks, and then you could get your free Nintendo game, right? Once you read those things, you're like, nah, never mind. Never mind. It's way too good to be true. It's an offer that just sounds amazing, but it ends up with way too much work to actually work out. Now, we've made our way to the end of Romans chapter 8 here, and it's almost as if Paul anticipates this natural response to the things that we've been learning about what it means to be united to Christ. It's almost like he anticipates, and I think because God's Spirit knows us, God, through his Spirit, anticipated this question, right? This seems way too good to be true. Can I really have a hope like that? Can I really have no condemnation? Is it really true that in Christ, all of this is mine? Is it really true? Could it be? And he anticipates these questions, and in this last segment of Romans chapter 8, he answers these questions for us by exalting to us God's love given to us through our union with Jesus Christ. In our connection to Jesus Christ, we have God's love. Now, there's a bunch of questions there, so let's read the text, and then we're going to make our way through it. So, uh, Romans 8, let's start in verse 31, uh, and then we're going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to kind of break it down, okay? <clears throat> verse 31, what shall we say to these things? It's a, that's an exclamation. That's a, this is amazing. Uh, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we need your help, please. Would you lift our eyes to behold your wondrous glory? Would you remind us much of the cross and the empty tomb, would you help us please to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Remind us that you have loved us and help us please. Strengthen us to not just understand these truths, but then to be live, but then to live like we have been connected to Christ, to flesh them out. By your grace, would you help us to walk through this and not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer too. We'll be sure to give you gratitude and praise and worship and thanksgiving for all the good that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. An amazing section here at the end of Romans chapter 8. And it has some rhetorical questions. You know what rhetorical questions are? Rhetorical questions are questions that you don't really have to answer because you should understand the answer intuitively from the question, right? Um, So he asks them here at the end, and and I'm going to break them down really into three sections, okay? The first section is this. Does God really want what's best for me? Verses 31 and 32. Does God really want what's best for me? Does he love me enough to want what is best for me? All right, 31 and 32. What do we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Again, it's a rhetorical question, right? So the answer is, yeah, if God is for us, there is no one that can be against us, right? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Does God really want what's best for me? You don't know my life, and that's very true, I don't. I don't know your life. You don't know the obstacles that I faced. You don't know my suffering. You don't know my pain. You don't know the challenges that I have faced. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know my family. You don't know my context. I don't. But God does. He does. And you know what? He wants what's best for you because God is for you. In Christ... God is for you, right? Again, we see this incredible contrast between who you are in Christ and who you are outside of Christ because who you are outside of Christ, for those who don't know Jesus, God is not for you. He's against you. He is your judge, righteously so, standing as the one who righteously judges your sin. James says it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposes is a military term. That means that he will set up his forces against those who in pride resist him. Outside of God, he is not, outside of Christ, God is not for you. But in Christ... In your connection to Jesus Christ, 
You know what? God is for you. How do I know this to be true? Well, the next verse tells us in verse 32, how do I know that God is for me? Because he gave his son for me. And if God did not even spare his own son, why would he withhold anything good from me? If God gave up the greatest good, Jesus Christ, why would he not be for my good? Again, it's a rhetorical question with a pretty obvious answer. Because God is for you. He is for you. Now, does this mean that God is going to give me everything that I want? I would like a Ferrari. That'd be great, right? Does that mean God is going to give me a Ferrari? Now, God is for my good. If a Ferrari is good for me, I'll take it any day of the week, right? But God is for my good. Um, does your mom ever make you eat your vegetables? Do you think at that moment that this is good? Uh, no, uh, you don't, right? Does your mom make you take your vitamins? Yeah, do you think at that moment that this is really good for me? Does somebody who helps you through life say, look, man, you, you got to get up and you got to get going here and you need to study and you need to, and you need to get some discipline in your life and you need to find some purpose and you need to move on for God's glory. The people around you oftentimes make you, encourage you to do difficult things because they care for your good. My good and what I want are often not aligned, right? And I need somebody who's wiser than me to tell me, hey, this is good for you. When it may not be what I perceive to be what I want. Here's the beautiful thing. God in his wisdom knows what's good. As a matter of fact, not just good. God in his wisdom knows what's best. And he will settle for nothing less than his best in your life. And he will stop at nothing other than his best in your life. Because he loves you. Because you're in Christ. God loves you enough to give you what's best. Here's the second question I think that we can come up to as we walk through this text. Can God really forgive me? All right, we've talked a lot about it. It's even really at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, right? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been forgiven. And we get to the end of this and we see something that, that has the potential to be better than I could imagine it to be. And we come with the question, can God really forgive me? Verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? He uses, interestingly, he uses that same phrase, right? From the beginning of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He uses it again right here. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who, eat, uh, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Can God really forgive me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what goes on in my head. You don't know how often I have done it. You know, what's the truth of God's love that you need to be reminded about? No one can bring any charges against you in Christ. 
No one. No one. God has declared you to be righteous. Uh, uh, This is at the end of verse 33. It is God that justifies. It's God that makes you righteous. Is there someone who is greater than God that can negate his justification? Is there someone who can bring up a charge that somehow God is not aware of? Is there something that you have done that is outside of his viewpoint? And all of a sudden he would say, oh man, didn't see that. And if that's the case, then yeah, maybe you are condemned. No. The eternal God who has all knowledge of all things in all places at all times has justified you for all of your sin. So the rhetorical question, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against those ones who are in Christ Jesus? He gives the answer for it in verse 34. It's Christ that died. And if that's not enough, it's Christ that's risen again. And those two things in conjunction, not only is it the sacrificial death of Christ on your behalf, but it is the powerful resurrection of Christ that puts the exclamation point on the truth that there is no condemnation because Christ is alive. The debt has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And he now stands, excuse me, he now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. He does not, this word intercession means that he doesn't allow any accusation against you to stick. He turns back those accusations. He reroutes them. There's no accusation that can come against you as a child of God, as one who is in Christ, that will ever stick. This seems too good to be true. But in God's love and through his grace and in Christ Jesus, it's not too good to be true. It is true. Question number three, right? Question number one, does God really want what's best for me? Question number two, can God really forgive me? Question number three, does God really love me? Does God really love me? Maybe, maybe one of the most frequent questions that will come up in your mind in the course of your Christian life. Over and over again, it will be a doubt and a fear that bashes itself against you. Does God really love me? Uh, what what the, the two truths that have to be held in tension that you have to build this bridge of faith between is on one hand, you experience life. And so many times, life doesn't match up with what you know to be true about God, right? Uh, this is the entirety of the book of Job, Okay. How can I build a bridge between what I'm experiencing and what I know to be true about God? What connects those two things? It's faith. It's faith. 
in some of these truths that we have already been discussing. It's faith that God wants what's best. It's faith that God does not hold my sins against me in Jesus Christ. It's faith that God really loves me, even when it seems too hard to believe. And this is where we come to at the end of Romans chapter 8, because the writer here, Scripture through the Spirit, God recognizes that we are going to struggle to believe that God really loves us. We're going to wrestle with that. Because we live in a sin-cursed world, we're going to wrestle with this truth that God really loves me. And so he sets out to set some boundaries on God's love. And I want you to see these boundaries of God's love. Okay, Verse 35, he asks again the rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer? The obvious answer. No one. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. But if we needed a little more encouragement to embrace this truth, he sets out these, these, these boundaries as we go through this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Shall the suffering that we face separate me from God's love? Last night, we, we looked at this just a little bit earlier in, in Romans chapter 8. We talked about suffering. We saw the reality of suffering, even for believers, right? We're not, we, we don't have a, like this get out of jail free card for suffering. It's going to happen to us. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you uh, for my name's sake. It's going to happen. And when it happens, you are going to be tempted to believe that God doesn't love you anymore. Is that the truth? It's not. Because there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. Even persecution. Even persecution. Paul even goes back and references an Old Testament text. It says, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And that's sometimes what persecution can feel like, right? A lamb led to the slaughter. But that reminds us, doesn't it? There was a lamb who was led to the slaughter. And Isaiah 55 tells us that as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. It turns our eyes once again to Jesus Christ, who suffered the greatest persecution for me. And it reminds us that in the same way that God's love for Jesus was not separated because of his persecution. That God's love for me, even when I'm suffering persecution for righteousness sake, is not separated from me. Because there is nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing at all. As a matter of fact, he gives us this promise in verse 37 that we can actually overcome the suffering we face because of God's love for us. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If you've ever had the chance to read anything from Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's an old book, but it gives the account of Christians' martyrdom. Right? What, do you, what do you see in this? Some of the oddest statements before death that you could ever see. Christians who willingly gave themselves to death in persecution for the sake of the gospel. How does that work? 
it works because they were anchored to this promise. That in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And they were able to, in the face of death, say, you may be able to kill my body, but you will never conquer Christ's love. This is what we're reminded of. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can overcome suffering because of God's love for us. And there is nothing that can separate us from God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And here's where he sets the boundaries, right? He does it in in some couplets, two things put together. Can death separate us from God's love? No, life, okay? What's in between those things? Absolutely everything, right? Death or life, can that take us away from God's love? No. What about angels or demons? Can they take us away from God's love? No. What about, and I love one translation puts it this way, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, the past or the future, the present or the future, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Can those separate you from God's love? No. Can anything above in the highest of heights or anything below in the lowest of depths? No. That cannot separate you from God's love. Can any creature in any existence ever separate you from God's love? No. No. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're going to pray one last time. And we're going to thank the Lord for loving us this way. And we're going to ask that he would help us to remember his love. And that's going to conclude our time together. I trust that God will take these truths and he will root them deep in your lives. So let's pray, okay? Father, we come to you again with incredible gratitude that you would love us this way. Secure. Nothing, nothing able to separate us from your love for us. Thank you that even our suffering can't separate us from you. Thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, that through him and in him, you have enabled us to overcome any difficulty that we face. Thank you. Father, would you remind us often in our feelings of loneliness or abandonment that you are still near and that you will love us to the end? Would you remind us often, please, that no person or power or creature can separate us from your love? Father, would you help us then, by your grace, to live like we have been loved this way? Would you please, with the help of the Spirit, help this kind of love to be displayed in our lives to the people around us? 
Lord, I pray for my friends here. I don't know what their future holds, but you do. I can't walk beside them, but you can. I pray that by your grace, with the help of the Spirit, you would please help them to maintain a clear view of who they are in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the time that we've been able to share together. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts already. Thank you for the encouragement that you've brought because of the Spirit. Thank you for the change that you've motivated because of what you've done in our hearts and lives. Anchor us to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Remind us of your love and then enable us by your Spirit to live like we are in Christ. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name.